Let's turn back to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, these are not the words of men. These are the words of God. They're not Peter's words. They're not my words. They're the words of God. Holding your hand there at 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me turn you to Philippians 4, 8 and read it this time. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. I turned you to it last time but didn't read it. Do you know why the Lord did that? My wife knows. Most of you should know. Because I'd be having bad thoughts about that for a long time. And so I had an opportunity immediately as soon as the service was over, I just turned the whole church to Philippians 4.8 and didn't read it. It's a wonderful verse. Let this verse rule your thinking and my thinking. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Amen. How's that like for an order from heaven on what we should think about? Right. True, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report, if, if there's virtue and praise in them. That's what we're to think on. Another comment about your thoughts before we quickly move on into verse 14, music. I'm thankful that I was reminded between our services here about music. Even even what might be considered neutral music that is of a melancholy sort will take melancholies down in a downward death spiral or toilet spiral, whichever gives you the best mental picture of listening to that junk. It will take you down because it will turn you inside to yourself and it will take you down because you'll think too much about your life and too much about your thoughts and too much about your feelings. God is constantly wanting to get us out to two other objects for our thoughts, Him and others. So if you replace that, first of all, the world's music will take you down because that's the devil's hopeless music. But even what I I consider what I'm telling you And I'll go ahead and give you a name. Yanni. Oh, there can't be anything wrong with that piano music. You sit around and listen to that stuff long enough, and you will get yourself in a downward death spiral because there's nothing about God, there's nothing about others. It's internal, it's melancholy, it's written by a melancholy, it's motivated by the devil. It will take you down because it's not lifting you up toward God and it's not lifting you up toward others. That kind of piano music, it plays on your simple, on your nerves, it's the language of the soul, and it will take your soul down. We want to lift our soul up. So it's music about the glory of God. It's music about the beauty of Jesus Christ. It's music about the works of God. It's music about the attributes of God and the Christian faith and the gospel and the hope of heaven. When you hear that kind of music, which I have called temple music, because our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and the Lord left two holes here for music to come in. He put two holes in the temple of the Holy Ghost. And it ought to be temple music. Music that pleases the Holy Ghost. And that kind of music will turn you upward and outward. It will do the opposite. 
Have you ever, and some of you may know this and some of you may not, have you ever been kind of discouraged and you went and got a part and put on some good, God-glorifying, Christ-praising music and found yourself, what word do you want to say? Lifted up in the Lord? Jacked up? Encouraged? Your faith revived? And you look back and you say, what was wrong with me just a few minutes ago? This has been powerful. Well, David did it. David even did it for Saul, who had an evil spirit from the Lord. Music. If you want to guard your thoughts, guard your musical inputs. And I was reminded also of the little expression that's a common American idiom. An idle mind is the devil's workshop. That's right. Even the world or some sort of Christian influence in our world has come up with that little reminder. Lord, let's not have idle minds. If we're not occupied in something productive, let it be occupied in thinking of of God and of others, of heaven and of serving. And those things will get us outside of ourselves. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, As obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. As obedient children. That's what we want to be. In verse 3, it said, which according to His abundant mercy, hath begotten us again. So you were born the first time and you became a Grimm or an Ole, or a Crosby or a Carnell or an Eastland or a Doring. Your first birth. But then we're born again. It's already been described here in verse 3 of the first chapter, being born, being begotten again, which made us God's children. Now, since we're God's children already, vitally, by God's regenerating power, here comes Peter, like the Apostle Paul would do, and says, let's live like it. Let's show God that we're His children. Let's be obedient children. Let's be children that please Him. Matthew chapter 5, verses 4. 43 through 48 describe loving our enemies, praying for those that despitefully use us and so forth, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Now doing those things is not going to regenerate you. It's not going to take you from a child of wrath to a child of grace. It's not going to take you from a vessel of dishonor to a vessel of honor. But you will show that you're a child of God. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven by loving our enemies. And so here it is, as obedient children, let's gird up the loins of our minds, let's be sober, let's hope to the end, as obedient children, and as obedient children, let us do what's in the rest of verse 14, and that is not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. We love the doctrine of adoption. We love the fact that the Bible teaches, and we I think if we took a vote of the 17 facets of salvation, we would say adoption wins. We don't want to just be justified. Justified isn't going to make us His children. Justified is just going to keep us out of hell. Adoption makes us His children and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we, we set adoption way up there. We love 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. If God's done that for us, and He has, and it is glorious, It's unbelievable. We have passed through the ring of angels, a hundred million plus millions that are around the throne. We've passed through it and we're right up next to Him. 
Because we're the sons of God. They're our servants. We're God's children. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. Okay, that's our position. Let's be obedient ones. He's left us on earth for a little probationary period of time. Whatever word you want to call it, we're left on earth. He could have taken us immediately to heaven at regeneration, but He's left us here. Let's be the children that we want our children to be. Do you want your children to be obedient? How do you want them to obey? Cheerfully? Very cheerfully? Very passionately? Thankfully? I know I'm describing this very high level of child obedience. Let's be that for the Lord. How will we ever have our prayer answered that we just prayed in this church for all of our children, whether they're sitting here, that the Lord gets all of their hearts, or whether they're not here and the Lord gets all of their hearts, if we are not willing to give Him the same heart that we're praying for from them? And He's he's equipped us for it. These, These little words, do you know how full they are as obedient children? Let's do some things for the Lord. And he tells us what he wants us to do. Let's give him that. We love adoption, but let's show him that we are his obedient children. He hates this world. Do you know that there is a war that's been going on for 6,000 years? And do you know this war is not going to end until he destroys all his enemies? It's God against the world. God hates this world. This world hates the God of the Bible. They hate each other. They are antithetical toward each other. They despise each other. And the one will destroy the other. And in the meantime, while he shows some long-suffering to get all of us converted and repentant before he takes us to glory, this world does everything it can to disgrace and deny the God of the Bible. That's why there's evolution that's even been thought of by Darwin, Charles Darwin back there 150 years ago. There is enmity. That means that if you play around with this world over here, if you flirt with it, If you like its music, if you like its friends, if you like its activities, its philosophy, its lifestyle, then you're the enemy of your Father which is in heaven. We want to be obedient children. If a father has an enemy, he doesn't want his children befriending the enemy. God has an enemy. It's the world. Let's not do it. God and the world are perpetual enemies. The Bible says very clearly adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is the enmity with God. Let's be His obedient children, being faithful to Him every day. And it it tells us how now. Not fashioning yourselves. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust. The word fashion. In uh, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 11, it says that, well, not Exodus 12, Exodus 32 and verse 4. It says that Aaron fashioned a golden calf. Give me a synonym. An M word, four letters long, made. Or an F word, six letters long, formed. He fashioned, he formed, he molded, he made. In Psalms and in Job's it says, the Lord hath fashioned me, meaning the Lord has made me. I want you to know what that word means. Fashioned. Not fashioning yourselves. Not making yourselves, forming yourselves, or molding yourselves. According to your former lusts. This is a powerful little lesson here. It's a great lesson. Do not fashion, do not form, do not make, do not mold your character, your person, your reputation, or your conduct after the world. Not according to the lust of the world. Not according to our former lust. Not according to habits that we may have had before we were converted is what Peter is saying to his audience in Asia Minor. 
We make ourselves every day. Do you know, do you understand that? We make ourselves every day by what we do. We make our character. We create and enforce and solidify the code of conduct that governs our behavior every day. We make our reputation every day. We make the person that we are in the sight of God and men every day. We make our conduct every day. We fashion the kind of person we are and the kind of person we're supposed to be is an obedient child of God. So every day, the, the thoughts that we think, the words that we speak, and the actions that we do, or the thoughts that we don't think, the words that we don't say when we should, and the actions we don't do that we should, make up our person. Your person is being made every day. It's being fashioned. It's being formed. It's being molded every day by the choices you make. You are building yourself as either an obedient child of God or a disobedient child of God Or you look like a reprobate. Because we can't really tell the difference between a disobedient child of God and a reprobate. This is is what Peter is teaching here in this 14th verse. Not fashioning yourselves. Because every day choices are made that make and mold and form us as to the person that we are. And when a person faithfully discharges his duty of forming himself by careful choices of thought, careful choices of words, careful choices of actions, we look at that person and we say, that is a great child of God. That is a noble man. That is a spiritual woman. That is a holy person. And that is what we want to be. And it's a choice we make every day. So here comes Peter. He says, wherefore, because of what I've taught you, Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Hope to the end for the grace that's to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, not fashioning yourselves according to the old way of living, which is the world's way of living. We want to be different from the world. Brethren, we want to be different in the modesty that our women have. We want to be different in the music that we listen to. We want to be different in the way that we forgive and show compassion toward one another. We want to be different in the unity that we have. We want to be different in our zeal toward God. We want to be different by being holy. Which is one of the greatest differences we'll ever have with the world because even the Christian world today, fulfilling the prophecy of 2 Timothy chapter 3, they are unholy. We want to be holy with a very high regard for the things of God and to hate any infraction, violation of them, of any impurity of any sort. We want to be pure and noble and godly and gracious and virtuous and flushing those things that want to get on us and not have it marring us. If we have dead flies in the ointment of the apothecary, we mess up the form and fashion of our characters and reputations to others. This is Peter to us every day. Oh, you young people. We have a young church, even though some of us are, well, all of us are getting older, but some of us are getting older faster, it seems. We have a young church. We have so many young people in here. We have so many children and youth. There's over 70 under the age of 20. You can start right now. Abigail is a lover of the God of heaven and a virtuous, obedient, faithful young lady every day by honoring your parents, by loving God, by praying in your bed and telling him you love him and obeying the things that you hear and guarding your thoughts 
and never thinking a negative thought about your parents. And brethren, for her, it, it's true for 70 more that are in here, 20 years of age and under. And then it's true for all of us as well. We fashion ourselves every day. We're molding. You know, from Aaron's hands out came the golden calf. From God's hands out came each of us physically. But each one of us every day mold the person, character, conduct, and reputation that we carry through life. Let's not let it be sullied at all. Let's fashion it carefully every day from when we wake up to when we go to bed that we guard it and fashion it so that it looks like an obedient child of God. That's the, the connection here. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves like the world and like you used to live because God does not like that look. God does not like that person. God wants us as obedient children of His. Right. And obedient children of His love their enemies. Obedient children of His hate the world. Obedient children of His love temple music. Obedient children of His love Psalm 84. And they want to be in the house of God. They hunger and thirst and crave for it. Obedient children of His want to be holier. And so let's be obedient children of His. And each day, the choices you make, and it usually starts with our thoughts. Start with thoughts that are going to be godly thoughts. The child of God thoughts. Thoughts that God would have. Thoughts that God wants you to have. Thoughts defined, listed, and explained in the Bible. Let's choose those thoughts, those words, and those actions. Peter is saying that to these brethren across the Mediterranean Sea as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust. Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Second Corinthians 5.17 A simple verse, you've heard it before, but that is how we should live every day. Old things, old habits, the world's things, the world habits should not be ours. We want to be His obedient children. Every one of us that are dads and moms, know we, we pretty much know what those words mean as obedient children. We want children that if we say something, you know, a word to the wise is sufficient. Usually it's not. But uh, you know what I mean. All of us parents, we just wish we could drop a word. Well, the Lord drops words on us, and he's dropping some words on us today. Uh, one of them was to gird up the loins of our minds. So, Lord, I for one, and this church with me, will rule our thoughts this week to be more obedient children to you. And we don't have to have this verse preached to us for two or three Sundays. We've got it, and we're going to do it. Are you all with me? Amen. I'm going to have a machine gun stream flowing into my head. I've got enough right now. But he knows that I'm going to rule them, and I want to rule them because we want to be obedient children. And we want to fashion ourselves, fashion our thinking, fashion our speech, fashion our conduct. There's things we don't want to do, say, or think. There's things that we do want to think, say, and do. We want to com commit the right things, and we want to omit the wrong things. And we can do it. We can be obedient children. The Lord can take delight in us. Not according to your former lusts. Look at chapter 4. If you arm yourself right mentally... 
you can uh, crush all your past lusts. Let me read a couple of verses here from chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Arming yourself mentally. Arming yourself mentally. I want to get you armed before you walk out of here today. Arm yourself mentally to hate everything that is contrary to God's word. Watch, verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Back up there into verses 1, 2, and 3. You can arm yourselves mentally that I am willing to deny myself. I will deny myself to do things that the world wants me to do. I will deny myself that my flesh enjoys doing. And I will arm myself because Jesus Christ did this before me. He denied himself by saying, Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And going to the cross of Calvary on my behalf, I can arm myself a little bit and be prepared to say, No, I'm not going to do that. And there is blessing in doing the word of God. James chapter 1 and verse 25 says, Blessed is the man that continueth. In, in the word of God, he will be blessed in his deed of hearing and doing God's word. You will never lose if you will keep God's commandments. If you will lose your life this way for him, he will show you your life. You will have the greatest fulfillment in soul and mind by doing things God's way. But you can arm yourself mentally to not do things according to your former lusts in spite of what the world wants you to do. No to habits. I'm not going to think that way anymore. I'm not going to talk that way anymore. I'm not going to live that way anymore. Right. I haven't been as faithful, you can say, to my to Bible reading and to prayer like I should have been, but I will be from now on. I will be an obedient child. I haven't been taking the trash out, we want our children to say, but from now on I will do without ever being asked again. I will get up earlier and I will do it myself and I will do it cheerfully and I will leave a note on the kitchen counter, thank you for giving me the privilege of taking the trash out. Now, now, can we say that to the Lord? Lord, I'm going to do it your way, and I'm going to tell you thank you for the privilege of serving you. Thank you for telling me what you like. How many in here have ever worked for a boss that wouldn't tell you what they really wanted and kind of left you in that middle ground having to figure out yourself of what they really wanted, what the company really expected from you? It's a horrible, it's a horrible condition to be in. God has not left us. He has laid it out so plainly. Let's do it his way. Back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 14. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance when we were ignorant and didn't know what God wanted and were just pleasing ourselves. That's verse 14. Verse 15, but. Now that inspired disjunctive there is because verse 14 is telling you what you shouldn't do and verses 15 and 16 are going to tell you what you should do. But you shouldn't in verse 14 Form yourself, mold yourself, and live according to the lusts of this world. But you should be holy, because God is holy. But as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. As He which hath called you is holy. 
I've preached on holiness before. It is in enti- you can just type in holiness on our website and find sermons and documents about holiness. Let me remind you very briefly, God is holy. Our God is holy. Holiness is God's infinite freedom from and infinite hatred for any and all evil anywhere by anyone. He hates evil. He cannot be touched with evil. He cannot approve evil of any sort. He is free of it. He's above it. He's undefiled and separate from sinners. As Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26 would say, Our God is holy. He has holy hatred for sin and for sinners. Taught throughout the Bible in both Testaments. Holiness is extreme and it's intolerant. It hates any and all evil or moral imperfection at all. Our God is holy. Verse 15, But as He which hath called you is holy. So let's remind ourselves that our God is holy. We are in this place, a holy place, where the Holy Spirit inhabits us, where we look at the Holy Scriptures. Let us remember that He is holy. The Bible emphasizes God's holiness. The first occurrence that Moses ever had of hearing God's name, take your shoes off because you're standing on holy ground. That is an unusual deity. Get your shoes off. Show some humility before my holiness. When he got to hear the name of Jehovah, I am that I am. You know, we, we refer to the Spirit as Holy Spirit, the Scriptures as the Holy Scriptures, the angels as the holy angels, the, the people of God as the holy people, the holy place, the holy covenant, the holy hill of Zion, the holy temple, the holy name of God, and so forth it goes on. Where did God dwell in the Old Testament tabernacle? Behind that veil, what was it called? The holy of holies or holiest of all, because that's where God was. God has named the Holy One at least 30 times in Isaiah alone. What attribute do special creatures that God made to praise Him forever and ever refer to? What attribute do they pick? Power, power, power. Glory, glory, glory. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. They get His power in there, but they start off with His holiness. And I want to tell you just a little hint. An almighty being you want to start off with His holiness because He will never abuse His power. If His holiness is subservient to His power, that would be dangerous. His power is subservient to His holiness because God is always holy. He never does anything that is unholy. Therefore, there is no sin nor fault nor flaw with Him, our glorious, holy God. God takes this attribute as His own name. His name is holy. What makes God glorious? There are several, but God says holiness makes Him glorious. For the high priest, Aaron's mitre that he wore on his head had gold on blue lace for the holiness of God. The Lord swears by His holiness, which makes His oaths solemn, and His holiness makes His worship beautiful. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And that holiness... You know, it's not stained glass windows. It's not a fancy painting back here. It's not pretty pews. It's not a tall steeple out front. That isn't the holiness of God when we worship. 
The holiness of God is that we come in here and we have been faithful in all the personal duties of our lives to not sin against our God. And any time we have sinned against Him, we confess those sins completely and purge ourselves from them and repent of them and tell Him that we are going to do it His way and that our way corrupted the good way that He had given to us and it didn't profit us at all. How holy is God? How crucial is holiness to Him? How does He see violations of His holiness? Heaven is not clean in His sight. When God inspects heaven, He said of it in Job chapter 15, verses 14 and 16, it was not clean in His sight because there were angels that sinned. What did He do to those angels that are greater in power and might than us because of their sin? He has reserved them in chains to everlasting torment and He threw them out of heaven Heaven was not clean in His sight. And everything has to be clean in His sight. Is your life clean? Are your thoughts clean? Your heart clean? Your motive clean? Your relationships clean? Is it clean? Heaven wasn't clean in God's sight. Because angels sinned by their pride. The Bible tells us that was the sin. He condemned 50 to 100 billion human souls to eternal torment for one couple eating fruit. That is holiness. He could only sanctify some of those souls by bruising and killing His only begotten Son. That is holiness. His holy fury against sinners for eternal torment is their conscience, conscious, perpetual, and maximum torment. Right. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. You say, why would you say it three times? Go read Mark 9, verse 40 to 44 and see how many times the Holy Spirit said it. Isaiah the prophet, when he met God in Isaiah chapter 6, all he, all he could think about was his foolish and wicked speech. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of, with wicked lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of wicked lips. One glimpse of the holiness of God, and you realize the filth, the criticism, the sarcasm, the cutting, the hurt, the, the arrogance, the, the criticism that comes ripping out of our mouths, instinctively, naturally, frequently, Lord, save us. Amen. One second seeing Him, unless we remember His holiness. Remember, remember, maybe it's these words, heaven was not clean in His sight. Is your speech clean? If it was recorded for a week and played to the Most High, is your speech clean? Is my speech clean? Are my thoughts clean? If the Lord gave me a holiness test on my thoughts, would I pass? You say, well, we'll never be as holy as the Lord. Oh, He's taken care of all that by the sanctifying grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But were you making were you making conscious efforts the whole week and were you confessing any failure? Let's remember his holiness, my dear brethren. God's holiness burned at Moses at the rock. He smote a rock instead of speaking to it, and God did not let him enter the land of Canaan, even though there were forty years of begging. I'll tell you that the holiness of God burned against the nation of Israel for the golden calf, and three thousand were killed that day to show holiness. A man that picked up sticks in the Sabbath day in Numbers chapter 15 was killed for the holiness of God. And they were supposed to put a blue fringe on all their garments 
Remember the blue fringe sermon of a number of years ago? They were to wear a blue fringe at all times because that blue fringe was to remind them that presumptuous sins against the holiness of God would be dealt with severely like they were with that man. Do you need a piece of blue fringe hanging on your refrigerator just to remind you? On a bathroom mirror to remind you when you get up in the morning, can you keep your speech clean? Heaven was not clean in His sight. Are we clean in His sight? Abihu and Nadab offered strange fire before the Lord, and God burned them up on the spot. When Peter saw the draft of fishes the Lord arranged for him, he said, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a wicked and sinful man. When we meet the Lord as He is, His holiness just comes blasting through, and it exposes all of our faults, sins, flaws, and wickedness. John saw God's holiness in heaven, and he was as dead before the Lord Jesus Christ. God verbally crushed Job twice. He repented and abhorred himself. I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is one of the most beautiful topics, subjects, and attributes to ever be considered is the holiness of God. If you want to know the God of the Bible, you have to learn about holiness. He is holy. Our God is holy. We sang, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and we should. And then we should ask for our holiness to be like His. David was afraid of the Lord and His holiness. After he killed Uzzah at the ark, throughout the Bible, this holiness is every part of our lives clean. Clean in His sight. Marital relationships, clean. Tax return, clean. Work ethic on the, clean. Speech, clean. Gentle and gracious, kind and loving. Clean. We want to be clean. We want to be holy. Ananias and Sapphira in Corinth tried an unholy way of living and they all were put in the church cemetery. The part of the church at Corinth that didn't keep the Lord's Supper. You can't serve the Lord acceptably without holiness. Joshua in his last hours with the nation of Israel said, you cannot serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 19, you cannot serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He will not put up with the way that you've been living under me. And you know what happened as soon as he and the elders of Israel died? Off they went. You cannot serve the Lord that way. You have to serve him with all of your heart and all of your mind, and you have to clean out your life. Don't play with little mementos of the world with this God. When He walks into your bedroom and you've been committing spiritual adultery, He knows those mementos are in the bottom drawer under those old sweaters. He knows all that. Don't play with this God, the God of the Bible. So it says in verse 15, But as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. You must live a holy life consistent with God's holiness in order to be this obedient child of God that we want to be. As obedient children, the not part is verse 14. The do part is verses 15 and 16. Don't do it that way. Get rid of your former habits and the lust of your flesh and the lust of this world and fashion yourself into being a holy person. Let's be holy. At home and here and in between and everywhere we go, let's be holy. Look at the as-so verb construction. Verse 15, But as 
He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. As so, when they are tied together in two clauses like that, it means that just as it has been explained in the first clause, it is true in the second clause. We love to appeal to that in places like Romans 5.19, for as by one man's disobedience many became sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. But do we like it as much right here? As God is holy, so should you be holy. So we want to be holy like God is holy. He exhorts us to holiness in body and spirit based on fabulous promises that are offered. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Amen. Since He's a holy God that has adopted us to be His children and to give us an inheritance, it is just reasonable that we should want to be holy, that we should put forth effort to be holy, and it will take effort. This is an unholy world, and we live among unholy Christians, and we are unholy in our flesh, and the devil is certainly unholy, and they're all against us. To be holy means we have to be separate from them, different from them. They're going to think it's strange, that the things that we do. But First Peter 4 took care of that, didn't it? Peter already knew that they were going to be called strange for living holy lives. Look at 2 Corinthians 7.1, one of my favorite verses. There's a, there's a whole sermon on the, on the uh, website about this verse. Oh, this is a great verse. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, God has loved us. He's our loving Father. Let's be holy. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, body sins, thought sins, body sins, affection sins, spirit sins, inside you, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now the Bible says you can perfect holiness because what you overlook in your ignorance, what you confess when you fail, God just wipes away. So the Bible can say that Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1 were perfect, walking in all the law of the Lord, blameless. Now, we all know here that that is not to be understood absolutely, but God washes away the failures of ignorance and washes away anything that we confess. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let's fear our Father. Let's want to please our Father. This is godly fear that loves our Father. Lord, we want to be the best you've ever had. I don't know how to settle for anything less than that. We want to be the best. Doesn't He deserve it? Let's be the best Christians. That means we got to be holy because He is holy. When it says in 2 Corinthians 7.1, having therefore these promises, there are seven promises back up there in verses 16 through 18 where God has said in verse the middle of verse 16, I will dwell in them, number one. Number two, I will walk in them. Number three, I will be their God. Number four, they shall be my people. Number five, I will receive you. Number six, I will be a father unto you. And number seven, ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. This is God's already regenerated us. God's already predestinated us to adoption. This is how we put it into practice. And this is how we practically have a relationship with Him in the world. Because He's holy, He can only have a relationship with holy children. Lord, help us to do that. Let us cleanse ourselves. Heaven was not clean in His sight. Are you clean? You can be. Do you know what He'll do if we just confess our sins? He will forgive us and cleanse us 
cleanse us, cleanse us, cleansing ourselves, all we got to do is go to the Lord and say, forgive me, we can purify our hearts, we can, we can make our minds single toward Him. First John, James, tells us how to do that in James chapter 4. Put away our laughing and take on mourning for our sins and we can purify ourselves and cleanse ourselves. And then those promises are triggered and are activated and God becomes our Father and dwells with us, dwells in us, and we are His sons and daughters in a very practical way where He is overseeing our whole lives and embracing us because we're obedient children. Satan's going to viciously attack holiness. He loves carnal Christians and unholy Christians for they are fruitless and fulfill everything he needs to, for them to do. It's a painful subject for it demands sacrifices and denial from pleasant habits that you may enjoy. Instead of popularity, it's going to make you strange. Are you willing to be strange for God's sake? That just means you're being loyal to him instead of being an adulteress with the world. That's all it means. Let's be loyal and faithful to him. It says in all manner of conversation in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, in all manner of conversation. Manner means species, kind, or sort. So you can say in all kinds, in all sorts of conversation, in every aspect of conversation. And conversation means the manner of conducting yourself in a world or society, behavior, mode, course of life, or lifestyle. So when it says in all manner of conversation, it means in every part or aspect of your life in every part or aspect of your lifestyle. In the whole way that you conduct yourself, holiness touches every bit of it. Nothing is left out. In all manner of conversation. If we're going to be obedient children, we just don't have holiness here. We just don't have holiness when we pray before our meals. We just don't have holiness when it's devotions time. We, just, we have holiness at all times, in every way, in all parts of our lives. Lord, help us to that end. Every part of your life, thought, word, deed, omission, commission are His. We owe it all to Him. How spotted are you? How clean are you? How conformed to this world? Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we don't want to fashion ourselves like the world. We want to form ourselves like Christ, by being transformed. So what can, you, what can you transform today about yourself? Is it speech that you need to transform? Is it thoughts you need to transform? Is it what you watch in the television that you need to transform? Let's be transformed. How separated are you unto the Lord? How holy are you? Are you spotted and unclean with television? Are you spotted and unclean with the internet? With friends? that are not lovers of God, if you're hanging around those that aren't lovers of God and choosing them for your social companions, then you are displeasing your Father in heaven. If you're working with them, that's a separate and different thing, and God teaches us that in 1 Corinthians 10 and 1 Corinthians 5. How about your speech? Are you spotted in your thoughts, your laughter, your jokes, your music, covetousness, pride, fleshly-mindedness, money, wine, alcohol, your education, child training, authority, everywhere. Are you clean? We should always be examining our lives. Put that mind to good work. Just be going through your life. Am I, am I clean here? God's Word is the only definition that counts. Am I clean here? God's definition is all that counts. Am I clean here? What does the Bible say about this part of my life? 
If you compromise it, then you're being unholy. God is holy. There's going to be trouble in this life. And you may not have a life in the world to come. Because the evidence is that new man that is inside us, that is created in righteousness and true holiness, should shine through. David set no wicked thing before his eyes out of hatred for compromisers. Loving the brethren, surprisingly, is a part of holiness. Surprised me. Hadn't seen the conviction, or the connection quite as clearly. Listen to this. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. No, this isn't the passage I want. Thoughts? 1 Thessalonians 3.12 And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love toward one another and toward all men, even as we do towards you, to the end He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. So by loving the brethren is the practice of holiness. Because God loves them, we ought to love them. They're His children, they're our brothers and sisters. Just like a father and a mother like their family loving each other, so God wants His family loving each other. <clears throat> Your body is the Lord's. It's the temple of the Holy Ghost. The temple of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. Lord, help us in every part of our lives. First Peter 1.15 But as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, every bit of your lifestyle, every bit of your life, every part of it, every aspect, be holy like God is holy. That but that started out verse 15 was contrasting verse 14 to 15. 14 was what you shouldn't do. Don't fashion yourselves like the world in your former lusts, in your ignorance. This is what you should do. You should be holy like God because He's holy. We want to be obedient children. What's the character of Dad? What does Dad love the most from his children? Every child ought to want to do that. What does dad love? I'm going to give that to dad. And that's honoring your father. What does my mother really want from me? Doing it is honoring your mother. We have a God in heaven who is our father. Right. What does that God want from me today? He wants holiness. Because he's holy. And if we know that our father is holy, then we want to do the, the holy things that please Him. Right. Verse 16. Look at the first word of this verse. Because. This is, this is weighty in its own right. Now, it wasn't verse 15 enough. Verse 16 just says the same thing. Look, at, look, I'll read them to you. 15 and 16. But as He which hath called you is holy, so that's God's holiness, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That's your holiness. Verse 16. Because it is written, Be ye holy, that's your holiness, for I am holy. That's God's holiness. What do we have verse 16 for? To get a because in there, because it is written. And those Jews that were across the Mediterranean Sea, when they got a letter that was pressing them to do something hard of girding up the loins of their minds, being sober and hoping to the end, not fashioning themselves again, but being holy like God is holy, all of a sudden Peter brings in their scriptures to bear. Because it is written. And whenever we find anything in the Bible, it should affect us. Because it is written. Because that's what God said. Why do we have to do that in our family? Because that's what God said. And we should be saying that to ourselves all the time. Why can't I have that thought? 
Because God said. And so right here we have Peter appealing to those Jews on the basis and authority of their scriptures because it is written. This isn't just my idea, Peter is saying. It's not just my suggestion for you to be holy because God is holy. It is written in the scriptures, God is holy. And not only does it say He is holy, it says you should be holy because He is holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. The reason for the holiness required of Israel was because God was holy. And you can go back and look through the book of Leviticus where a number of places that all say the same thing are brought forward by Peter and used right here in verse 16. Because it is written, holiness is not a suggestion, it's inspired scripture. We want to govern everything we do in our life. The choice of our entertainment, the choice of our friends, the choice of our thoughts, the choice of our words who we hang out with, who we try to serve, what we do, our motivation, our priorities in life, every part of our life should be holy because God is holy. Every part of His being is holy. Every part of heaven is holy. He has thrown out every unholy thing from heaven. And anyone that gets to heaven is a saint. And that's a sanctified one that has been made holy. He has made us holy and blameless to stand before Him in love because He hates every unholy object. He hates all workers of iniquity. Because it is written, be ye holy. Holy living is an ancient landmark of our faith in an unholy generation of corrupt Christians. We're never going to be perfect, but boy, when we're not perfect, we better confess it to God and get it washed away and repent and reform and rise above it by the grace and power of God to live against that particular fault, flaw, or sin that crept into our lives. Lord, help us to do that. The world says holiness is extreme, hateful, intolerant, impractical, divisive, old-fashioned. They laugh about sin, joke about sin, mock it, and watch it on television. Only the very strong can resist the world's hatred of holiness. Condemnation of sin is called intolerant, fanatic, hateful, and so forth. There's nothing sacred or holy anymore. Jokes are made about heaven. Jokes are made about God. Jokes are made about St. Peter. They come to church like they're going to a barbecue. We want to be different. Mm -hmm. Paul prophesied that the perilous times of the last days, they would be unholy. They would be despisers of those that are good. They would be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. They would have a form of godliness without any authority in it. You need a true vision of God. You get a true vision of God by pouring through the pages of this scripture, just picking, just picking 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. God is holy and He's called us to be holy in every part of our lives because it's written in the scriptures. Old Testament and New Testament. Now for us, we get, it, we get both barrels to be holy. This is what the Lord's had for us today. Wherefore? I've done all this for you, and I have all this in store for you. You're suffering some tribulation and afflictions and trials. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Tighten up your thoughts. Get some mental toughness and mental discipline. Be sober, spiritually serious, and hope to the end. Hope to the end, because there is a reversal of fortune that is going to shock the universe when I show who you are. The angels desire to look into it now because they see it obscurely and they know that there are some guys that have crowded them out from being right around the throne of God and the Lamb. But when we all get there and have glorified bodies, 
they're going to be overwhelmed. It's going to shock the universe. There's a reversal of fortune coming that is unbelievable. It cannot be described. The Bible doesn't even describe it in great detail. It just tells us a number of things about the glorified body that we're going to get. We're going to be joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be in His throne, around His throne. We're going to be singing His praise. He's going to make all things new. We're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be no more tears, no more crying, no more problem births or anything. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your minds, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, not fashioning yourselves again according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. This is the lesson. We're going to walk out of here today. The world is going to assault us. Your flesh is going to assault you. Your mind is going to get filled with thoughts. Those thoughts are going to make their way into your tongue, and they're going to want to leap off that tongue. May God remind us of girding up the loins of our mind that every day, every day, every decision you make forms your person. Whether you're ever going to amount to anything, Jonah Unger, every day, the way you treat Gabriel, the way you obey your parents, the way you think at night, the conversations you have in your bed with the God of heaven, the thoughts that you allow to enter your mind, Every day you make Jonah Unger. God wants you not to make him like the world makes people. The thoughts they allow, the words they allow, the entertainment they have, the things they do, he wants you to be holy because he's holy. Amen. And you can be great in his sight. Yeah. And you, everyone in here knows I'm speaking to all of you and to me. Right. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. May we tremble before it, remember it, and may we do the things that are described here. Lord, have mercy upon us. Amen. Amen.